Um, as the guys come forward to do uh, tithes and offerings, I, I need to make it, uh, just a, a small announcement. Um, I should have known better, uh, but I accidentally um, washed my pants with Emery's new sparkle skirt. <laughs> so if you notice some flashing lights as I pace, um, you know, just keep it to yourselves, all right? It's a mistake. These are not intentionally sparkly. Just these things, these things happen. Um, we're going to start a new series this morning, and uh, I, I meant for this series to be sort of a short series, be about four weeks, and it ended up taking me, as I sort of mapped it out, about four months. So for the next four months, I was close. I get the four was there. Um, so for the next four months, we'll be doing this. This is sort of a pre, uh, prelude to this series. Um, and as I talked about last week, the Lord often interrupts my thoughts and um, has me speak on different things. And the same thing happened, only instead of Saturday, it happened this morning. And so uh, forgive me if these thoughts are a little bit rough-hewn, but uh, I want to actually begin in Deuteronomy this morning. So if you'd open your Bibles to Deuteronomy and then also keep in your, um, find in your hands Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. That'll be the bulk of, of what we're looking at this morning. But I wanted to start in Deuteronomy, because that's how you just make people think you're an awesome person. Start by reading from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 15. That's a, some of it's up here, but not all of it, so you want to find that in your Bibles. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you for six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go free. And when you let him go free, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were, in, uh, you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you today. But, but if he says to you, but if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household. Since he is well off with you, then you shall take an all, and you shall put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. Because they didn't have um, the guns. It's easier to get your ear pierced now. Just go to the mall, not alls into doorposts. That's crazy. The situation here then is, I've had a bad year. And uh, I've lost everything. The house is gone. And so Laura and Emery and I were kind of on the street. We're trying to fend for ourselves, trying to figure out what to do with ourselves. And we need food. We need shelter. And there's really no recourse for it. And so what do I do? Well, I know Bill's got a lot of money. Don't you, Bill? <laughs> Everybody write that down. Who's got a lot of money? Bill. And so <laughs> Beth's like... <laughs> and so I go to Bill and I say, Bill... Uh, uh, Buy me. Uh, take, take my family into your service, and, and we, will, we will serve you. We will be your, we'll be your slaves. Now, I don't want you to think in terms of, like, roots and, like, the South and, like, kind of when we think of slavery, we think of um, civil war and all that stuff. Don't think of it quite that way because it's not a one-to-one comparison. I put myself and my family into Bill's service, and this is not a lifelong sentence. This is something that happens for a long This is a way for me to get back on my feet. 
And on the seventh year, the year of Jubilee, as you know, every seventh year was a year, an entire year vacation. The land rested and the people rested. Everyone rested for a year. And things were sort of reset. Debts were reset. Things were reset. Um, and, and so my family then would be free. But let's say I really love Bill. I mean, Bill's a great guy. I mean, you know, and he's got all the money. So... And so I say to Bill, Bill, I, I love you. I love working in your house. We love you. We don't want to go anywhere. And Bill says, well, put your ear on the door. I'm going to pound it. No, which is actually what happens. But that marks me as a slave for life to Bill. Now, what does this have to do with, with Romans? Well, you flip to Romans, right? I told you to flip to Romans. Ellen's on. No, Ellen's not on it. Ellen. Bill's daughter calling you out. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 begins with this. Romans, of course, is a letter you, you probably are somewhat familiar with. It was, it was written, by, uh, written by Paul to the church in Rome. And Paul begins this letter by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And almost, almost all of your translations will probably say servant. Um, and, and that's a fair translation, I suppose. But the word doulos there in Greek literally means slave. It means slave. We might call it a, a bond slave. And, and, what's, and what Paul is describing here is actually rooted in the Old Testament because I want you to remember this and, and I hope that through my preaching you, you, you have got this in your mind that everything in the New Testament finds its root and its fulfillment in the Old Testament. If you want to understand what God is doing, know your scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And this is what is rooted here in Deuteronomy 15, that Paul is saying, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I fear I am convicted. I'm convinced that too much of my life I have been a servant of Jesus and not a slave. See, servants are like employees or people that can kind of come and go. I can disagree. I can do, do whatever I want. I still have some will left in me to choose my own way and to, to seek my own path. But I was really struck by this line. Paul doesn't say, I just serve Jesus. He says, I am a slave. I love my master. I loved him so much, I could have left his house. And, and that's kind of what's incredible about the God of the universe is he says, you don't have to obey me. You can go your own way, and I will give you the desires of your heart. You want sin, go sin. If you want me, come to me. And Paul has said, I want Jesus. Mark me as a slave for the rest of my life. I am yours. And everything that we will see following throughout uh, in Romans as a reflection of that desire. You see, there is no such thing as freedom in the Christian life. There's no room for it. Not the American version of freedom, not the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. I can kind of do whatever I want as long as I'm not bothering anybody else. I, I've got my own will. I've got my own destiny. I have my own ideas. I have my own rights. I have my own will. This is not Paul's language. Paul's language is that of bound slave to Jesus Christ. And incidentally, if you are going to come to God, he will accept nothing less. Now, this is a hard truth. This is a hard truth. It strikes us and it should strike us as something that is 
that is scandalous. It should strike us as something that is completely outside of the way that uh, our American and, and indeed our Western society conceives of the world as it is. We conceive of the world in terms of freedom, of liberty. I have my rights. We've actually taken this to such an extent that now we are, and this is the hot button issue of the day, as you well know, this is the thing in the courts, this is the thing which we're arguing and legislating and fighting about, about whether or not my biology has to determine what I am as my gender. We deny the very fact, biological facts, and we, and we create our freedom because our freedom is so deeply ingrained in us What I see when I stand naked in the mirror no longer stands as what I am. I can change that. And I know that we as the church, most of us here are probably quote-unquote conservative, would look down on that, but, but don't you dare look down on that because every single time you choose sin over slavery, you do the exact same thing, just not as visibly. As Paul pointed out and brought up, not... Uh, uh, not something that I am um, free of selfishness. Every time I am selfish, I am choosing my will over and against the will of God, over and against slavery to Jesus Christ. And this is, um, this is something that is scandalous. Let's look at Romans. Let's read. I want to read verses 1 through, one through 7. Paul says, uh, I, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh was declared the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you understand what that means? That's that correlation. Lord, slave. Lord, servant. The king stands over the people and the king says, this is what we're going to do. And the people say, okay, you're the king. This is what we're going to do. When we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we are implying as well our servitude, our devotion, our slavery to him. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith. Why? For the sake of of his name among all the nations, including all those who are called to belong in Jesus Christ. And then he greets those who are in Rome. And so here he, dec- he, he explains very purely and simply the message that is found in Jesus Christ, calling even an altar call, as it were, that we are declaring to others the obedience of faith for the name of Jesus Christ. And as he declares this great gospel, if you jump down to verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of this gospel. I am not ashamed of this gospel, for it is the power of God to bring about salvation. Now, to say that you are not ashamed of something implies what? Someone thinks you ought to be. Right? Someone either is ashamed of the gospel, either Paul knows Christians who are shrinking back or saying, well, you know, maybe, I, you know, maybe we don't need to tell everybody the gospel because, you know, they might call us stupid or old-fashioned or, or backwards. Or there are some who say that you should be ashamed of the gospel because it's stupid, it's old-fashioned, it's, 
It's backwards. And Paul says, no, I declare this message to everyone that will hear. I am not ashamed of it at all. And yet we live in a culture, we live in a time, and we have always lived in a culture, and we have always lived in a time, we just are starting to recognize it a little bit more these days, that there is something foolish about the cross when we say Jesus Christ is king, he is Lord, he is sovereign. People look at us and say, are you insane? If you stand up in a courtroom, or you stand up in a school, or you stand up on a street corner, or you stand up to your friend or your coworker at work, and you say, you cannot do this. If you do this, you break the law of God and invoke his righteous wrath. You get laughed out of court. Praise the Lord. This is an amazing... You guys didn't applaud. Like I feel like we missed something. We're missing each other. This is an amazing time to be a Christian. This is an amazing time to be a Christian. Finally, we get to stand out like sore thumbs. People begin to look and see, wow, there is something really different. These people are saying, we have to be a slave to God? That we have to do his word? That we have to do his will? That we're bound to him? And if we don't do his word and his will, if we live according to our own lives and our own ways and our own freedoms and our own rights, not only will we bring our lives into disrepute and destruction, but God's judgment will rain down upon us? Yeah, that makes you strange. And people are going to look at you and try to shame you. But you need to have backbone, church. And you need to stand up and say, I'm not ashamed of that because it is the truth of God and it is the only word that will come forth and bring salvation to people. And isn't that what we're about? Isn't that the message and mission that Jesus gave to us? He came to seek and save the lost. What do you think you ought to be doing? Is the servant above their master? Is the slave better than their Lord? Well, it says that you get to sit in a pew and relax and be happy and fat and content the rest of your life. You are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You are called to share Jesus. Only you have a knowledge of salvation that must be proclaimed. And some will hate you, and some will stone you, and some will scoff at you, and some will hear. And some will be saved. And that is what Paul says in this very first line. I am a slave to Jesus Christ. I want to look at verses 8 through 17. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. That doesn't necessarily mean positively either, does it? I mean, it just means people are talking about you. People are talking about Oakland Drive Christian Church. That might be good, that might be bad, but at least they're saying something. They're talking. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you that is that we may mutually encourage may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine I do not want you to be unaware brothers that I I have often intended to come to you, but but have been thus far prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, which is just another word if you're not used to Christian words. It's just another word for people who aren't Christians or aren't Jews in in this case as well. 
I'm under obligation both to Greeks, that would be anybody who's within the Roman Empire, and to barbarians, those who reigned in the north, kind of where Germany is now, to the foolish and to the wise. And so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So as we think of this text, and and as we're sort of moving into our um, time of the year when things are kind of up and moving, I I was thinking a lot about what Paul's mission is. This, This whole letter is written as kind of an introduction. Paul largely doesn't know the people that he's speaking to he knows he has some friends there but but the the church as a whole he doesn't he doesn't really know very well and so he's introducing himself to some extent to them they've probably heard of paul this is probably written before his his last missionary journey before he goes to rome and and as as many of you know that's where he is executed so sometime in the mid 50s and so paul is sort of well known and he sends this letter just as an introduction this is who i am this is what i'm about this is my passion this is my mission in life and, and as uh, we sort of wrap up the summer, and I can tell the summer's wrapping up because my allergies are killing me, I, I'm sort of wrapping up thinking about what, what is ODCC all about? What is, our, what is our passion? What is our vision? What is our mission? What are we in Portage to do? Why has God allowed this church to live? I mean, God can cut this church off at any time. He can be done with us. Um, not, no church lasts forever. I mean, where's the church that Peter started in Jerusalem? I don't know that we could find Like, So there, there's lifespans of churches. Why are we still alive and, and kicking? And what are we here to do? And, and we, we've pushed forward this idea of sharing Jesus, try, trying to get a hold of a, a simple idea that, that Paul's mission here to, to share Jesus, to, to declare Jesus, to be a slave to Jesus is, is what we're trying to get at with this simple vision as well. And so we have sort of three different little marks here to know, uh, to make known, and to be known. And what do, we, what do we mean by this when we say share Jesus? To know. What does it mean to know Jesus? Now, obviously, we can go right to the scriptures and say open your Bibles and read the stories about Jesus. And you can learn all about Jesus. But I notice very specifically Paul's use of language here. Do you notice the words that he used? What is his desire He's got two deep desires here. Obviously, his desire is an apostle is to go and to proclaim. But his other desire is what? To meet the Christians there that he doesn't know. Look at these words that he uses. For God is my witness. Like God can tell you that this is actually true. That without ceasing, that is all the time, I mention you. A church I've never been to. Christians, I don't even know. I pray for you all the time. And he says that again. Um, Asking that somehow by God's will I might at last succeed in in coming to you without ceasing. And always I am praying that God might bring me to you. What for? So that the two of them can come together. That they might spiritually strengthen one another. That they might be mutually encouraged. That he might hear about what God is doing in their life. And that he might share about what God is doing in his life. And that together they might have this great moment of sharing in What he says again and again throughout the scriptures, the body of Christ. I think we just don't take that seriously enough here. And I'm really struck by this. Paul is, if I can use modern parlance, going on vacation. 
And he's going to the Capitol. This is like your fifth grade. I mean, I took a fifth grade trip to Washington, D.C., right? This is your fifth grade trip to Washington, D.C. You get this trip and you're going. And Paul is going to the Capitol. And he says, man, I can't wait to get you. I can't wait to get there so I can see the Coliseum, see a good game. I can't wait to get there so I can see the Senate building and, and all the statues and all these things where these great laws are, are being made. He says, I can't wait to get to Rome and, 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 and visit the spas and get those mud baths. And He doesn't use any of that language, does he? No. He says, I can't wait to get to Rome. And all of those things are there. I mean, don't think that we invented tourism here in the 20th century. Right? This is not something we came up with. This is something people did. And what does Paul say? I can't wait to go there because I can't wait to meet the Christians that I haven't met yet. I can't wait to go there because I can't wait to preach in the streets and try to share Jesus with other people. And when I say preach, I don't want you to think what I'm doing right now. I mean, sometimes it takes that shape. But to preach is simply, in the New Testament term, is just to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, with someone else. Now, you might do that one-on-one. I might do that with me and Kristen. Or we might get together and try to share it with that heathen sitting next to her in a smaller group. Or we might go to their neighbors and we might get a huge group. Or you might stand on a stage and do it too. It's any time that you are declaring the good news of Jesus Christ to somebody else. You are preaching the gospel. You are sharing Jesus. He says, I can't wait to visit Rome so that we can try together to, to reach the lost that are there. That even in his travels, even in his travels, slavery to Christ is paramount. I I just was really struck by that as I thought about vacation that, that we took this year. The way that we pray or don't pray for other Christians and other churches. When was the last time we really got together and we prayed for West K? We pray for con- We do this thing, Michigan Christian Convention. Once a year, we call all of the different churches in Michigan. You can go to one spot in Lansing, like an hour away, and you can meet Christians from all the way up in the UP and all the way down, almost to the heathen areas south of us. You can visit Christians and meet Christians all over the state and you can say, what's God doing over there and what are you guys doing and and how is God moving? And and maybe we could even go into Lansing and we could share the gospel maybe on the street because there's a lot of heathen. We lived there for what, six, five years? I don't know, it doesn't matter. We lived there for five years. There's lots of heathens all over Lansing. We could get out there and we could share the gospel and yet you know how many people show up to this thing. Last year it was from our church, it was me and Laura, my wife. We go together. Peanut butter and jelly, like we're pizza and pop. This is, you just included. The passion for the church is left behind, and it's because we have believed a scandalous lie about what the church is. We have come to believe that the church is a, dispense, a dispenser of spiritual goods, of, uh, of things that lift us up or make us feel good. And we consume these goods. And when those goods get a little stale, because I get a little stale, um, Paul definitely gets a little stale. Just kidding. kidding. And you go somewhere else. The doctrine of the great uh, ecclesiology, the gathering of all of God's people, he has called us to participate 
in the body of Christ. And that's what it is to know Jesus. To know Jesus, to be an active member of those people who Jesus calls his brothers, his sisters, his children, the heirs of Christ. That's what it is to know. Without that knowing of Jesus within the church is to not know Jesus. We have a whole nation full of spiritual voyeurs who come to church and think they're right with God because they like the sermon, they like the song, they like the children's program. That is not what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. To be a member of the body of Christ is to strive together and worship and in knowledge, sharpening one another as iron sharpens iron, pursuing the riches of God himself. Anything less than that is less than that. And so our vision to share Jesus is to know Jesus, but to know it in the context of the body of Christ. To have that rich fellowship where we can really say, I'm family, you're family, and we're sharpening one another. Uh, secondly, to make Jesus known. Paul says in verse 1 that he is called to be an apostle and certainly we recognize that Paul was called in a particular way. I'm not saying that each one of you ought to sell everything you have and, and go to Rome and then go on to Spain, which is Paul's, Paul's plan. But what you are is sent by Jesus Christ. And that's all the word apostle means. In Greek it's just a word that means to send. And so when Jesus says... Go ye, therefore, into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. When he says in Acts chapter 1 that you're going to be my witnesses from Jerusalem and, and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, when he says even within his own ministry, he gets those 72 of his closest followers together, and he says, I'm going to send you like, like sheep out into the wolves. But the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send more workers into the harvest. That's your call. That's our call. If we're to share Jesus, of course we have to share Jesus together. But if all we are doing is a church of people who love one another, then we become insular and isolated and we forget to be a light. To share Jesus is not only to know Jesus in the context of his body, but also to make him known. And that, of course, is that scandalous peace that we were talking about that will make us loved or hated. But man, at least we're loved or hated. We're not just nice people. There's nothing worse than being a nice person. People look at you and say, oh, there's a nice person. And you look at Jesus and say, he's a nice person. You cannot, you read your Bibles, people. Jesus is not a nice person. He was a crazy person. Read Paul. Is Paul a nice person? No, you meet Paul and Paul's like, I'm going to give you the gospel and you're going to love me or hate me and then I'm moving on because I am seeking the lost. We've forgotten that, folks. We forget it. And it's easy. It's so easy to forget it because like, it's football season. So many other things to be doing. And one day we'll stand before God One day we'll stand before God and he'll say, were you my slave or weren't you? We are called to share Jesus and by this we mean to make Jesus known. Now, I, I, I don't want you to leave here feeling like, oh man, I'm a terrible Christian. <laughs> I, I know that we all, all of us here who, who are Christians really want to share Jesus and want to make it a part of our lives, but it's, it's, it's really tough. In fact, I, I confess, I, I'm not very good at this. I'm really terrible. I was, I was at the gym the other day and I, I spend a decent amount of time, I know it doesn't look that way, but I spend a decent amount of time in the gym. 
Um, several, what? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Someday. Paul, you coming with me? Monday morning. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm on this machine, and everybody's got their little earbud things in, you know, and so nobody's talking to anybody else, and I'm, you know, grunting and growing and looking really tough on one of this machine. And this guy comes by, and we start chatting. I, I see him all the time, and he sees me all the time, but because we've got the little things in, we don't... And he says something to me like, you know, hey, you know, what are you in here all the time? Like, what's driving you? Like, what's your motivation? And I was really taken aback because I thought it was obvious. Everybody wants to be Arnold, right? I mean, that's just, that's why we're there. And so I answered something stupid. I don't even remember what I said. I said something stupid. And, uh, his, and we moved, conversation moved on. And it was, you know, we talked about kids and work and whatnot. And, and that was the end of it. And as he's walking away, I'm like thinking, you idiot. Why, why are you in the gym? I'm in the gym because I want to live a disciplined and godly life. And I think part of that's being healthy. I want to be of the most use to God. And so I'm doing things. And how bizarre would it have been for him to come at me and say, hey, you know, what are you in the gym for? And I'm like, man, so I can be useful to God. <laughs> I think that would have been a conversation killer even. Maybe. <laughs> like, I don't know. But it, like, that's, uh, like, that's the honest to goodness truth. And i like, why didn't you just say that, man? Like, why didn't you just... It's tough. It's tough. And I understand that. And so I, I think a big part of the problem is that I have it in my head that this is something that I need to do. Like this shared Jesus stuff, this is sort of the work. I've got to do this. And I think that might be the wrong way of going at it. And maybe I should think more in terms of this is what I ought to, to be. And I, and, I, and I want to suggest that the, a, few, a few things about sharing Jesus and making him known. And, and that is that I want to strive personally and, and I hope you do as well. I want to strive to make this who I am. That the thing that I'm thinking about, the thing that I'm singing about, and the thing that I'm praying about, and the books that I'm reading, the places that I'm going, the people I'm hanging out with, that all of that is so infused with God and with worship and with seeking him and loving him and knowing him that when people ask me questions that are really, uh, really lamely answered, uh, like, why are you in the gym? The answer that comes forth from my mouth first is the obvious one because of God what are you listening to songs about God what are you reading a book about God who are you hanging out with the people of God like this is just this is just who I am you know I've I've heard so often um, people talking about like uh, uh, sinful ways of life sort of like gangs and drugs and things like that if you ever spending time dealing with people um, who are involved in those ways of life. I did a lot of that down in Tennessee. And you know who they hung out with every single day? The other people who were part of their gang or the other people who were doing drugs with them. They had nothing else in common necessarily except for this one thing, and they were always together. Man, how often do we get together? How often are we spending time with one another? You know, I, just, I just think of that, like make it a part of who you are Secondly, I want to say, let's do this for the right reason. I want you to notice verse 14. He says, I am under obligation, not to God. Did you notice that? Verse 14, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the foolish and to the wise. Who is he under obligation to? God has already freed us. This is not a message of guilt and failure. And it's not like God isn't having, like, tallying off how many times you failed to tell the dude at the gym that you're doing this for Jesus. He's not keeping track of how many times you failed to witness or you weren't listening to Christian music or something like that. No, God has set you free. He has filled you with his spirit. He has called you according to his purpose. And now he says, look at the lost around you and pity them. Love them. 
Be under obligation to them, not to me. We're friends. I'm really struck by this, this notion of being a friend with God. There's a passage in, in, in James where, where James talks about Abraham and how he's justified by faith. And he says, and so he was called a friend of God. And man, I want people when I'm dead, when I'm dead and like laying here in a box, hopefully you guys don't just lay me by, but people could one by one come up and say, this dude, I mean, if there's one thing we could say about him, he was a friend of God. He was a slave to Jesus. Because all of this, I want you to notice, is not even for the lost. Do you notice that? Up there in verse, and I have this sort of like boxed in my Bible, uh, verse 5. He call, he's talking about all that God has done, God has called him to, he's called him to be apostles, to be calling people to be obedient for, for, to the faith. Why? For the sake of the name of God. This is all about bringing glory to Jesus Christ that more people might deliver to God the glory that is due his name. It isn't coming from you. It isn't by you. It isn't because you're clever. It isn't because you're smart. It's because God has called people to himself for his own glory. And so we can relax a little bit even as we strive to make it a part of who we are to know God, to make him known and to be known by God, to be so enthralled with the glory of God and the worship of God, to be his slaves, that we might just be relaxed and full of Jesus Christ, full of the Spirit, naturally. I also want to encourage you because you know what to say. I know you think you don't know what to say, but you do know what to say. Look in your Bibles. Verses 1 through 6, right there. Easy, easy, easy. Paul lays it out very plainly. What is the gospel that Jesus was foretold by the prophets? You know that whole, like, three-fourths of your Bible talks about Jesus. God foretold his coming. He foretold that there was going to be a Savior. That Savior would be fully man, and he would be fully divine, and that after his death he would be raised from the dead to justify us through faith, and then he would send us out to share Jesus. You've got this. Read Acts chapter 1, just read it over and over again until it's in your mind. You can do this. This isn't rocket science. It isn't that hard. Tell the story of Jesus. God will set you apart for his glory. As we come to a conclusion this morning, as we come to a conclusion thinking about who we are as ODCC, and I really want to encourage you to be a part of that share of Jesus' vision, to let it sink deeply into you, to think deeply about what it means to be a slave to Jesus, but also think about what it means to be sent out by Jesus, to, to, to know one another in the body of Christ, to make Jesus known, and then to know God, to be known by him, to be a friend of him. I want you to recognize that Paul understands himself as set apart, and you are set apart. And sometimes we lose sight of that set apartness. There was a day uh, several years ago where there was a young man, um, the handsomest man in, in all Lansing. He's beautiful with his, he's, he's gorgeous. And he was standing on a stage and everybody was looking at him and they said, man, that's a good looking dude. Love the hair, love the earrings, it's all good. Pre-beard, so that was that was a down detractor, but you know, and lots of thoughts and lots of things and lots of all other stuff is happening. But then the piano kicked up, and everyone turned and they looked at the most. And I was standing there, man, and I, t- I kid you not, like I my mind went like blank, and like 
Like, there was, like I was nervous about, because I knew if you lock your knees, you pass out and you die, like right on the stage. So I think, don't lock your knees. Everybody's looking at you, like, don't look stupid. Don't do something stupid. Repeat after him. Listen to him. And then she walked in the room, and I was like, I, what was I saying? What was I thinking? I don't remember. Um, and everyone else stands and looks, at him, and there is in this moment the most beautiful woman, and everyone stops, and everything else is forgotten. In that moment, I'm not thinking about all the other dates that I could have had. It wouldn't have been that many, let's be honest. <laughs> thinking about all the other things you could be doing, thinking about what I'm losing out on a single life. You're not thinking about anything else but that moment and that person. And we have these moments in our lives, and I, and I want to, I'll take it down so she doesn't distract you all. The same thing is true, I think, of Jesus. I think of marriage as important as it is and as glorious as it is, as much as it's really been great um, uh, in my life, pales in comparison to observing Jesus. That we are called to look upon him with all of our hearts and all of our minds, to call him our Lord, to call him our slave, our, our Savior, to be his slave, to, to serve him and to love him and to adore him. And if we can catch a glimpse of him and all of his glory and all of his power, everything else falls away, becomes meaningless. Everything else pales in comparison. Everything else doesn't matter anymore. And so what I call us to do as we, as we stand and sing this final song is to truly reach out for that, to grasp Jesus in all of his glory, to view him as the savior, not only of our souls, but of the entire world, and to in that moment say to him, I serve you. If you have a decision to make this morning, um, the waters of baptism are warm. They're warm this time. Sorry, you missed out. Uh, but they're warm, and so we, we're ready to baptize anybody that might need that. Or if you just need prayer, we'll have one of the elders down front, and, and we'll pray with you. Uh, we'll walk with you. Um, let's, let's sing a song.